Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. It is my enormous pleasure today to introduce you to a wonderful man who is really changing the world when it comes to helping people make peace with food, eating and their bodies. This is Aaron Flores, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist based out of Los Angeles, California. So Aaron's been working in this field for over 10 years and he's a specialist in eating disorders. His main focus points are really around intuitive eating and health at every size and he's really passionate about helping individuals learn how to make peace with food and develop develop body positive behaviors. Aaron's work has been featured all over the place, including places like Weight Stigma Awareness Week. He's written blogs for the National Eating Disorder Information Center. And last year, where I met Aaron first, he was the closing keynote for the 2016 Binge Eating Disorder Conference. Now, you might have uh, heard of Aaron from his amazing podcast called Dietitians Unplugged, which he has together with his co-host, Glennis Oy. So if you have not checked out their podcast, then please do so. It's just, it was such a pleasure to speak with Aaron today and I really hope you enjoy what he's got to say. He shares a little bit about being a Jedi as a dietitian and how diet culture can really be a bit like the dark force. He shares his lessons from the matrix and shares really valuable lessons in self-compassion and vulnerability. So welcome, Aaron. It's so fantastic to have you here. This has like made my day to to speak with you. Um, you know, we got to meet in in San Francisco at last year's Beta conference, and like there was this. It, it was probably one of the best conferences I've ever been to, just because of all of the amazing folks we got to meet, and and just like hanging out with you and Lou was was just so amazing, and and getting this uh, connection of like minded folks from halfway across the world. Just, you know, it was so amazing. So being able to speak to you is, it, again, is really, truly a pleasure. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So uh, the Binge Eating Disorder Conference was held in San Francisco last year. And um, I'll tell you one funny story. Of course, there was loads of people there, including people like Aaron and uh, Glennis Oyston and all kinds of really, really incredible people who I've been, uh, I, I guess, following I was going to say stalking but let's not get creepy yet <laughs> um, over the years and I'll never forget that I had arrived in San Francisco and checked into the hotel and I was going downstairs to do something and I stepped into the lift and then the doors closed and in this two two meter by two meter space stood Marsha Hudnall so it was, it was 
one of the most brilliant experiences of my life, but it was fairly confronting because we're in this, like, as you can imagine, a lift is very limited in terms of space. So yeah. what do you do in limited space? Do you go in for the hug? Do you shake hands? This is a person who, um, Aaron, I know for you too, for us has been um, a, a real groundbreaker in terms of, um, in terms of uh, the way that she has set up Green Mountain at Fox Run and yeah. and services for people of all sizes to make peace with their with their bodies and with food. So so Aaron, icon. Oh, she's an icon. So what do you think I did, Aaron? <laughs> I, I I'm guessing you just like totally jumped in for a hug. <laughs> you know me well. I did. I did. And the best thing is she totally jumped in too. So that was right. so that that um that um, settled down my anxiety over meeting the person who I would say would be my biggest kind of dietitian hero. So um, on that note, Aaron, tell, tell us a little bit about what this community of dietitians means to you. Well, I think for me, finding dietitians who have similar points of view with health at every size, intuitive eating, mindful eating, and through all of it are, are true to a, a weight neutral approach. Anytime I meet a dietitian who I, who identifies with that and gets it, I immediately want to just grab onto it metaphorically and literally uh, because we're few and far between. There's not a whole lot of us. And I think we are, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, like rebels, Yes. And we're fighting the norm. So, you know, pretty much almost constantly, I notice that, especially when people find out I'm a dietitian, uh, I am thrown into what they think a dietitian does with regards to diet culture. So they're going to ask me, I'm not eating, they'll say, oh, I'm not eating gluten or I'm not eating, um, you know, dairy, or I just did Weight Watchers and I lost five pounds or something to that effect. And, and they're expecting me to shower them with praise right. and talk to them about how, how, how great they are for doing that. So a lot of people don't, you know, don't get what my flavor of being a dietitian is, what our flavor of being a dietitian is. So anytime I meet someone who understands it and I don't have to explain it to, it is, is really quite refreshing. And it's really important actually for me because it gives me a lot of support, professional support um, and personal support because I'm able to open up about both, you know, all these struggles that we sort of have in the community where people don't quite understand the message or don't want to hear the message or, or maybe are just not ready for the message. And so anytime I can connect with someone and share that experience really helps me uh, stay grounded and, and actually continue to be a rebel. If, I, if there was no one out there who I could commiserate with, I think I would have stopped doing this a long time ago. What's life like as uh, an intuitive eating, health at every size and eating disorder specialist living in a place like LA? I mean, what's the community like? Well, so LA is a pretty interesting city mm -hmm. for, and, and I, the reason I say that, you know, as a dietitian, it is definitely one of the hotbeds of 
orthorexia and diet culture. I mean, we are, this is where Hollywood is, this is where the music industry is. It's a very image conscious town. In, in addition, not even that, but there's just pockets of communities where there is really a, a religiosity to, to the way people eat. And so, you know, so that's, you know, I mean, that, that's an interesting aspect right there. So, but what's interesting also is that there's, there are a growing number of dietitians in this area locally that have similar views. And some are, you know, I would say are on the fence like halfway, halfway there right? <laughs> some are, are sort of like have their feet in it and mm-hmm. are willing to talk about it a little bit more uh, and question it. Uh, and, and there are, there are a lot of other dietitians who, who really do get it. And so what's nice is through the eating disorder community here in LA, I've been able to connect with a lot of those dietitians, those therapists and those psychologists, which is, is quite nice. I think the other thing that has been really interesting is, is this aspect of using social media to connect. I mean, that's how I know about you. That's how I know about Marsha Hudnall. all that's how I know about all these people is through the articles they write, through their Facebook pages. And that has been sort of how my community has broadened past just, you know, this geographical area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How, thank goodness for the internet now, because we can connect so quickly and easily. And and there's already, I know when I met you at Beta last year, there was already that existing sense of familiarity. Absolutely. You know, that that we were able to get to know each other personally and uh, talk about our families and so forth, but but that we knew that we had this sense of kinship around our philosophy and around, you know, client-centered practice and around working with people who really struggle with food eating and and their body yeah no i would say it's like connection i mean i Mm. it's like you we already knew the same language so we didn't have to you know make it up uh and i think that's what you know a lot of these conferences are sort of doing for a lot of us now is bringing us face to face instead of just having us connect via via social media and do you know the other interesting thing, Aaron, is the um, is the parallel process of what we're trying to also provide for our clients too, because. Um, it, it, you'll um, relate to the idea that the people who struggle in their relationship with food and eating and their bodies, they, they feel a strong sense of disconnection and a feel um, isolated and alone. Um, So, you know, there's a strong parallel process with us, you know, finding like-minded people and how can we help our clients to feel less isolated um, and to feel more connected in with a community that understands their, their struggle. So it's, um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm loving some of the un- online Facebook communities, um, you know, Glennis's um, Dare Not to Diet Society, yeah. um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of them around now that where people can jump on and see other like-minded people from all around the world. So not just in your neighbourhood, not just in your community, but also internationally because these are uh, human struggles. No, absolutely. I think that's such a valuable uh, uh, part of, of bringing us all together. Cause like, like, like we sort of said earlier, I mean, I think this is a, uh, for some people a very lonely path 
and and it there aren't many people who are going to get it so as soon as you find someone who does and even if, even for our clients when they find someone who does i mean we're modeling the behavior we want right so it's uh when they see that that we are getting our connections also they they will they search for for connections that are meaningful for them as well that's so true and it's interesting to think about um how this plays into people's attachment to dieting because often there are groups uh, set up where you have your community where you're losing weight together or you're cutting out sugar together or you're doing xyz together and so there's probably things that we can learn about from um, these diet groups or diet communities that we can actually use um, in helping people to step away from those communities where we can offer um, an, an effective, meaningful uh, and valuable life-giving replacement to dieting. Because I, I, I definitely get a lot of people, a lot of my clients say it's the, it's the sense of group support that really helps to motivate me. And yes, and we don't want them being motivated by um, something that's ultimately going to let them down. So yeah, that's, yeah, we, I know we share this passion for community. So maybe maybe there's things we can learn from Diet World. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, so how 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 popular is OA there? Like Overeaters Anonymous. Oh yeah, it's got a fair a fair bit of traction. So it, there's yeah. um, Overeaters Anonymous, and then there's also what what's the other one? I forget the other, like, I call it flavor. Oh, I know. Food food Addicts Anonymous. Yeah, okay. So one of them, I think it's Food Addicts Anonymous, is a lot more militant maybe than the other. So, oh, yeah, it's definitely around and makes life, oh, my gosh, so problematic for people. But I get the impression maybe it's not as huge here as in the States. Yeah, I mean... So it's pretty popular here, but I think it depends. And I think it really depends on um, the person. But I think a lot of people who are drawn to it, I think it's the community that they really love. And they, the fact that they get, you know, these meetings with people and they get to, you know, share their stories. And I think that's what people, uh, for why people might stick with it for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, there's a couple of specific things I wanted to ask you about, Mr. Aaron Flores, and oh. that is that I know that you are a very that you're a very passionate um, person when it comes to uh, film, and I wanted I was wondering if I could invite you to share a little bit about uh, Star Wars, please, and also The Matrix. So you can explain that in whatever way feels um, yeah. good for you. So. Um so I'll start with the matrix. So yes, please. I, um, you know, I, there's, um, so yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy movies. I don't see as many as I, I used to, but I, I really do enjoy going and, and watching a good movie. And what's, what's interesting is maybe it's cause I'm in LA, but I, I always sort of find my self relating different parts of my life to things I've seen in a movie. And what I, what I realized is that health at every size and intuitive eating, which are both for, for many people, like radical approaches, different approaches is, is like my matrix moment. Right. And what I mean by that is there's a scene in the matrix where Neo is 
Keanu Reeves plays Neo is, you know, still sort of in this uh, dreamland, so to speak. And uh, Morpheus, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne, says, you can take two pills. I, I'm giving you a choice. The, the, the blue pill puts you, sends you back to sleep. And you will wake up like nothing ever happened and you'll go back to your same old existence. Or you can take the red pill. And, and I forget how the quote goes, but he basically says, if you take the red pill, you're going to, like Alice, go down the rabbit hole and see how far it goes. And what he's saying is you're going to see reality. And to me, intuitive eating and health at every size are the red pill. And I took that red pill and my eyes were open and I was listening to your interview with, um, with Fiona Willer and she had a very similar experience or talked about it. I mean, I really just, once I read intuitive eating and once I read health at every size and started to internalize a lot of that stuff, I realized my previous life as a dietitian working in weight loss was unethical for me to continue doing. Uh-huh. I was doing more harm than good. And how could I, in good conscience, go back to that if I knew the truth? So for me, that like it, the 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 change in my in my career or, or the way I was working was inevitable. Uh, I, there was no way I could have done that. You know, gone back to that world uh, after knowing the truth. So that was my matrix moment. Um, and, and I'm sure many people who believe in health at every size and health and intuitive eating and, and and mindfulness, I mean, have had similar epiphanies as well. Um, so, so that, that's my little matrix uh, spiel. Tell us a little bit about how you came to working in this way and, uh, maybe share a little bit about, um, some significant learning points or yeah. some, maybe even some errors that you realize that you um, made along the way. Also, self-compassion, self-compassionate errors, because there's probably going to be lots of dietitians listening to this who are really keen to learn more, but are wondering, you know, how on earth do I integrate this into the way, into the way that I've been trained? So, so let me start sort of the last part first, and then we'll... Sure. Because I always and continue to struggle with self-compassion. And it's something that I continue to try to get support in and do my own work in. So the, the, the important thing that for any dietitian out there who's listening or even non-dietitian or whatever professional is we need to be able to say we're human and that we're fallible and that we're not perfect and be able to do, do, do work on ourselves without shame or guilt. And that's something that I continue to work on. So, and I'm 44 and I think I'm continuing to have to struggle with that or work on that um, as I, as I get older. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's that's like the first part, right? Is just being open to my own process of of evolving and getting better and falling and slipping and doing things wrong. 
um, and realizing I need to learn how to do things better and, and that I've, I'm never perfect mm-hmm. and I never have all the answers. And I bring that into my work. So, so that's one thing that I've learned in my time as a dietitian is that I, I have to be humble whenever I work with a client, no matter who they are. And, and that humbleness comes from a space of wanting to learn from them, uh, from my clients wanting to uh, be a partner and not a necessarily like a, a teacher or like a, an instructor. I, I want, I want learning to go both ways. And I think that that's just foundational for my office. Um, what brought me to all this though, really, I mean, like I became a dietitian because again, very similar to, to Fiona Willer's talk. I, I was struggling with my own really bad relationship with food. I went to see a dietitian when I was 15 um, and you know, I was a little overweight, but not, not nothing that people should have worried about, but I went to a dietitian and she taught me all these really, uh, effective eating disorder behaviors. Oh God. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know it then, but that, but that's what she taught me. And I didn't do anything she told me to do. Um, I saved it all for when I really wanted to do it when I was like in my late twenties or mid twenties. Uh, and I was struggling in my previous career as an internet game designer and really just unhappy with, with my body. And I decided to use all the things that she told me and developed, um, I don't know, was it clinical level, subclinical level? I developed my own eating disorder, whatever way I did it. And, um, and it was really interesting because I got a lot of very positive praise from friends and family, from coworkers about how strong my willpower was, about how, how great it was that I was exercising so much. When in reality, internally, I was really quite, quite miserable because uh-huh. uh, I was, you know, living within these parameters that, that, that was completely unsustainable uh-huh. until I finally just cracked. Um, but, but that led me to becoming a dietitian. And that's why I wanted to focus on weight loss. I, I thought because I did it, I can teach everyone else to do it. And so um, I was exposed to intuitive eating. I read it the first time and really, I don't think I even got, I I read probably most of it, but probably didn't get through all of it because I just didn't believe it. I wasn't ready to believe it. And then I read it again once I was actually a dietitian and doing um, some of the work I was doing at the VA and then the light bulb sort of went on. So, so, I mean, that's sort of how I came to all of this. And I, I came to intuitive eating first and then I read in health at every size a little bit after and, um, and, and both of those just sort of work in concert with each other. And, and that's how I sort of got into this space. But I realized I never uh, talked about Star Wars. So I can also relate those things if you want. Oh, yes, please. I love your Star Wars stuff. Your, um, <laughs> I love all your Star Wars quotes and your T-shirts. And um, yes, so please tell us about Star Wars. So, so again, Star Wars was this like, you know, Iconic. Right. Iconic, right? I'm 44. So I saw, you know, Star Wars episode four in the theaters and, and it changed my life the same way intuitive eating and health at every size did. Uh, It changed my life. And the, the, the epiphany I had is I saw a shirt one day that says, judge me by my size. Do you? And, and I realized 
well, that's a Yoda quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shirt had nothing to do with weight. It had to do with height, right? So it's about Yoda, like, who's three feet tall, can't mm-hmm. get on a ride at Disneyland because he's, you know, he's too short. <laughs> yeah. But it forced me to go back to watch, rewatch some of the movies. And I realized through that sort of this new lens that being a Jedi is there's a lot of messages or narratives within star Wars and being a Jedi that relate to intuitive eating and health at every size. And it started with that quote, judge me by my size. Do you, um, that Yoda says, but it, there are all these other sort of similarities to, to, to making peace with our bodies and with food that are very similar to, to being a Jedi. And so I relate, you know, I, I basically tell people that diet culture and hatred of our body is what is, is the dark side of the force. And when we follow the dark side, it leads us towards this, towards this path of, of unhealthy uh, body image of, of hating our, you know, body uh, of hating food, really struggling with our relationship with food. And that if we can sort of learn to uh, follow sort of the good side of the force, uh, we can actually learn that, through and this is probably where a lot of mindfulness comes in with it also we can when we're calm and we're when we're at rest and when we're at peace we can really dissect a lot of our relationship with food in a in a very non-judgmental way that helps us heal i love that i love that i have do you know i am um, in all honesty i haven't heard you explain it exactly in that way before um and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's um, and as you were talking, I was thinking about the about the characters in Star Wars, and yeah. just and just contemplating that actually there are plenty of characters who who really struggled in their allegiance, whether they yeah. were whether they had allegiance to the dark side or whether they had allegiance to the Jedis and that um, there was this um, this sense of tension between the two that that could that is a beautiful illustration of how diet culture um, has this allure you know this seductive kind of um, sense of power to it that we can all get drawn into so um, that oh my gosh there's so many analogies I love a good story I I love a good analogy that's so that word is actually used in the movie where Luke is sort of asking Yoda, you know, is the dark side more powerful? And Yoda says, uh, no, it's just easier and more seductive. And that's the same way diet culture is. It's, it's easier and it's more seductive, but, uh, but it's, it's not anything peaceful or, or, um, or helpful. And again, another parallel with our, role as dietitians too is it is maybe easier just to go along with how we've been trained and easier just to go along with you know um with the status quo when it comes to um quote unquote weight management so (laughs) yeah yeah it it is actually and that it takes i mean my experience is that it's actually taken a lot of effort and it takes continued effort to um to be able to find this way of working which Oh my gosh, it's such an incredible gift um, personally and professionally and has introduced me to that very calm and considered way of working, which 
as you say before, we're role modeling, you know, that calm and considered way of, of people relating to themselves as well. So, um, you know, there's so many, isn't there just so many incredible parallel processes that go yeah. along with working in this way? Yeah. And, and the word I want to use too is, is you sort of said, uh, I forget what you said, but um, it's courageous. Yes. And, and for me, you know, for me, like there, there was a big gap between learning about intuitive eating and health at every size, like doing the work myself. Right. But then being open about that's how I want to work. Um, and that was a really, I mean, for me, that's, that, that was the courageous part to be at, to be able to say, I'm going to not just do this on my own. Right. But I'm going to speak out and make my voice heard when I think people are doing harm to people's bodies. And that, and that's something I still have to work on. Like it's, it takes every ounce of courage in my body to speak up and to, uh, to be seen and to be a rebel. And sometimes I still like cower. Right. But sometimes I say it uh, and I'm getting used to saying it more and more. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that there's this, there's a process of, um, there's a process of coming out as a haze, as a haze practitioner or a non-diet approach dietitian. And um, by no means am I, you know, making a direct comparison to the challenges that uh, that um, come about for people who struggle with gender, for example. So please forgive me for um, making that uh, kind of very rough um, comparison. Um, but it takes you know, similarly to people who are coming to terms with um, with the body that they have, you know, the courage that it takes to. It is about you know, if you if you are in a in a cupboard or the metaphorical closet, you know, I know I know um, I worked as a non diet approach dietitian in the closet for oh, I reckon it was for a number of years, um, and then opened the door a little, took a look out, didn't see anybody there at all, thought. And, uh, and in Australia, what we do is when you're trying to uh, reach somebody in a long way away, we have something called a cooey. Do you know what that is? I no clue. Okay. So um, <laughs> I'll give you a little demonstration. And for the Australian dietitians on board, please just, please forgive me. So it sounds like, <laughs> so it sounds like this because, oh, anyway, it sounds like this. It goes cooey. So that is the sound that you make if you're standing in um, what feels like an isolated place. Yeah. And if you imagine you're in a canyon or you're in um, yeah. somewhere like that, of course, it echoes around you. Echo, 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 echo. And that's really how I felt at the beginning until I heard another cooey and then another cooey and then another cooey. And... Um, I think coming back to our very original discussion, this sense of community gives us courage because we know that someone's got our back. And when we know someone's got our back, we can speak up and speak out and do all those things that, yes, oh, my gosh, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel really super, super vulnerable. Does it to you too? Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just super hard. Like I, I, I wrote, uh, I, I used to blog a little bit more, but I, I don't as much. But one of the last pieces I wrote was a response to um, a, a a camp, a summer camp that had oh, reached out right. to be 
um, they wanted to supply my website with content uh, about about weight loss and especially geared towards kids. And I I posted a response, uh, and I you know I didn't just well, when I wrote them a response, but then I posted it on my blog. And I mean, my wife will tell you, I sat at home like, oh, I shouldn't have posted that. Like, oh, they're going to be so upset at me. Um, you know, was I too mean? Was I, was I nice enough? And, and like on and on and on. So like, no, the, the vulnerability in that moment was, was palpable. So it, it happens all the time. Mm. And yet it's the thing that we need to keep doing in order to move forward. Right. 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 I mean, we, listen, that's, this is when I, when I said earlier, this is, you know, how we need to do work on our, on ourselves. Um, how can I ask my client who's suffering from an eating disorder to, to be vulnerable and to share their struggles with their family, their loved ones, their, their friends, their brothers, their sisters, their therapists, me, if I'm not authentic in that also. Yes. Yeah. And so that, that's really been just like my, my motto for the past couple of years is like, I'm just going to be authentically me and not hide it. And, and you know, I, I can't fake that, that, that I'm just going to be me and the chips are going to fall where they may. And we love authentic Aaron. <laughs> Can I just say? <laughs> well, it feels really good. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. And what have you found has been people's response? Like when you were able to really sink into that place of authenticity, what did you find were people's response? I mean, I, I, I find that um, I think it's a couple things. One is I think people like my clients for the most part, granted, not everyone is going to like me, but I think, my the clients that really stick with me really appreciate that. Yeah, they would love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, obviously, some some clients it doesn't work for, and I and I'm and I respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but also professionally, I think there what's interesting is um, people really get a sense of of that authenticity and can can suss it out pretty easily and and there've been some interesting just sort of opportunities that come up just from me being authentically me, mm-hmm. which is great because I want to, I want to be, you know, I want to be a busy dietitian. I want to, you know, I want to have a, a livelihood that is able to um, support, you know, my family and, and, and take an, an occasional trip and, and do the things I want to do. And when the great thing about being authentically you is that you don't have to um, keep tabs on um, keep tabs on anything. You can just say what's in your heart, what's in your soul, and say what's most important to you, and the messages that feel like it's reflecting your truth. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And 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 again, I don't know if that comes. Um, I mean that comes with age, right? If that comes with just maturity and, and, and having more life experiences or, or if that is also part of the health at every size journey that I'm, that I'm on. Yeah. Maybe a bit of, maybe a bit of both. I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. So for for any um, for any younger dietitians or uh, maybe not younger, but maybe people who are new to um, health at every size or new to working in eating disorders, new to intuitive eating, um, what what would be a piece of advice that you would have to people who are maybe I call they call them haze curious? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. I think I think one of the things that I would really recommend is nurturing that curiosity. And I think it's okay to question and it's okay to say, I, you know, I've heard about this. This is what I think it means, but I have some issues with it mm-hmm. and being able to sit with, you know, someone like us, right. Who maybe understands it, but also willing to, have that conversation. Like I I love having a questioning conversation. Um, I don't like a troll, right? Uh, Internet troll. And I don't like someone who's shaming and and who just dismisses uh, my thoughts or or beliefs. Mm -hmm. But I mean, genuine conversation, I will, I will take time out of my day for that conversation. I will, you know, if someone speaks to me after I comes up after I do a speaking engagement and they say, you know, I have a couple of questions and I didn't want to ask in front of everyone else, but like, this doesn't sound right to me. Then can, can we talk about it? I will sit there for hours and talk to that person. Uh, because, you know, again, I'm learning from them. I want to, I want to hear their questions because that helps me um, sort of, I, I can't think of the word. It helps me formalize my, my beliefs and, uh-huh. and explain it in a way where, um, again, my goal is not to like convince everyone. My goal is to just share with them what, what I know to be true and, and allow that person to take that information and have their own journey with it. Right. So this is, again, I'm not diet culture. I'm not like anti-diet culture shouldn't be as judgmental as diet culture. Right. That's right. You know, so like I, I respect that someone is not gonna get health at every size, and they're and they're it's just really not gonna they're not gonna internalize it, and and I can I can respect that, you know, um, and I'm not gonna preach to them the same way that they would preach to me, and then all of a sudden we're butting heads. Um, but I I think respectful conversations I think are great, and I think finding that person uh, that's close to you, or or even reaching out to people, and listen. I'm sure you get emails and people asking you questions and I'm sure you take time to answer them. And I think that's a great way to sort of test that vulnerability and say, Hey, I'm curious about this. Can you help me answer these questions? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do get quite a few um, emails, particularly from dietetic students who, um, who are curious because uh, not only have they not heard about these principles, but they're learning, they're learning things at, at university that are in direct conflict. conflict yeah. I, I was trying to find a different word, but I think that's probably the word. <laughs> they're, they're learning yeah. things in direct conflict. So for a lot of students who, um, I mean, statistically, what we know is that there's a fair percentage of dietetic students who've, who've had a, a complicated history of um, food and eating and body for themselves. So, you know, coming into a, a course where you're learning a lot about the science of nutrition and the science of food, I should say, and then how that applies to the body. I think um, 
you know, when it comes to client-centered practice and the human experience, this is, for me, this is the, this is the one aspect which brings mindfulness and non-diet and health at every size actually to life is because if we don't understand the human experience, then we're missing kind of the major piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would a hundred percent agree. And I think this is why, um, there, there are a couple of things that I would really hope for as, as more, uh, people are trained to be dietitians is one is obviously they get exposed to health at every size and they get exposed to this way of, of working with, with, with clients, but, but more importantly that they get comfortable with, um, in sessions, being able to really talk to their clients mm. and really have conversation and like comfortable conversations, or let me just say uncomfortable conversations. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> I think sometimes as dietitians, we're taught, well, I only know how to talk to someone about their low phosphorus or their blood sugar, or you know, um, how to how to give them a renal diet. You know, I don't know how to talk to them about the barriers they're having to change or their relationship with food in their body or, or even to like say to have discussions about feminism and patriarchy and things that are really important when it comes to recovery from eating disorders. So it's like, we're, we're not, we're not sort of comfortable. A lot of people are not comfortable in, in engaging those conversations. So they stick to the, the low sodium education because that's what they know to do mm. when, the, when there's a whole other world out there that they could be talking about too. Yeah, that's so true. I love how you said that. And I think there's also a pressure on dietitians to um, give advice. And then the expectation is that, um, is that the client follows that advice. So therefore we are the experts who quote unquote should know exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And um, and as you say, if we're if we're not having those other much more uncomfortable conversations, because it's challenging for us and it's challenging for our clients to enter that space together where we can have where we can talk about things that actually can make a meaningful difference, a long-term difference. You know, we uh, there is a lot of people in our community who, who are not enjoying um, optimal health and well-being, um, and and I really uh, and I'm sure that we share the idea that you know our profession we we can just make such a difference if we're willing to. Um, you know, work as as a team with our clients, with our groups, with our communities, um, to be able to have the conversations that we need to in order to move forward. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I, I would wholeheartedly agree. I mean, we just it, there's the amount of of positive change that we could make in this in this community is 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 vast. Mm-hmm. If, if if you know um, if it. If we, if we can really sort of all get on board, you know, one of the things that I, I you mentioned the expert part, right? It reminds me in here in the states, our um, our professional organization, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I don't know if they still use it, but like they they um, for a while were saying, you know, um, dietitians are the nutrition experts of blank, you know, like that was their whole catchphrase that we're the nutrition experts. 
Um, and when it, when it first came out and even now I, I, I really had an adverse reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And I understood why they did it. You know, they're trying to market dietitians in comparison to other people who are giving nutritional advice who might not have the training. But the, the reason I didn't like it is because like, I, you know, I know some stuff, but I'm, I, I wouldn't say like I'm the nutrition expert. Um, sorry. Uh, you know, I'm not the nutrition expert on, on everything. Like I, 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 there's no way that I, I know everything. And it just puts like this line between me and my, and my clients, I think that mm-hmm. is, is not helpful. Yeah. Because when we expert ourselves, there's this sense of maybe de-experting our client and they are maybe the passive recipients of our wisdom and knowledge and the all knowing all expert health professional. And I think it, it, it perpetuates this narrative of that, that we hand over the information and that my, and the client's job is to just do. (laughs) Yeah. Which you know, and you know what's a little bit embarrassing, um, Aaron, is that actually our association we have been using that phrase for many years, and we're still we're still on that train. Um, I, I, we might still be on the train too. I'm just not a member, so I don't get the emails anymore. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you've put a, a little bit of a protective barrier between you and the expert message. Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I guess I'm, I'm really passionate about experting, um, experting our clients in, you know, becoming uh, famili- right. familiar and friendly with, with your body, with your preferences, yeah. with your likes, your dislikes, you know, your body cues um, and everything that can help you be the expert in your own body. But, you know, what's really interesting is that it's not, it, it, it's not always um, – my clients enjoy that message, but in terms of the wider community, you get a bit of the "huh" kind of response, which I find interesting. It's like, are you not the expert? Oh, and interestingly, I was—I I took a counselling skills workshop at one of our big teaching universities here in Melbourne, and I asked them about being experts and what they thought about it. And and one student very bravely put up his hand and he said, I feel deeply uncomfortable about not being seen as an expert because I think that's how I should be seen. That's, that's going to be my job in the future is to be the person who people come to. So it was a really interesting reflection, whereas some of the other students were like, oh, no, I totally understand that we can have a lot of knowledge, but that we don't know everything about the person in front of us. Right. Right. No, I mean, listen, this is hopefully, you know, and when we have this conversation again uh, and we fast forward, you know, 10 years, uh, there's, there's hopefully a lot of a positive change that comes from conversations like this uh, in our, for, for, for trainees. So on that note, if we were to jump forward 10 years, what would your dreams be for our, for our profession and for the diet and for our dietitians? Uh, well, it would be a couple things. One is, uh, I would hope that we would get a better understanding of what eating disorder behavior looks like in our society, because I think we, we don't really quite, a lot of people just really don't get it. Uh And so I think a lot of the, 
you know, dark side of the force diet culture messages out there uh, can really lead to some very unhealthy behaviors and it's all in the name of health. Mm-hmm. And so in 10 years, I hope we have a better understanding of that and we're able to see all the disordered eating that is prevalent in our, in our society and, and, and really instead of stigmatizing it, actually give people some, some really powerful tools to help them recover. The other thing is I hope that we, that people are, are more accepting to this message of, of body diversity and that, that their, that health really does come in all shapes, sizes and colors. And, and, and that we need to really embrace that for people to embrace their own health. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I, I really do hope that more men get this message and that realize that, you know, they are, struggling with eating disorders, that they're struggling with disordered eating, that they're struggling with body image and that there's a place for them in these discussions and that it doesn't affect their negatively impact their masculinity to be vulnerable when it comes to these topics. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Hope you enjoyed it and please join us again next time. Just a reminder, we can be found at www.themindfuldietitian.com.au or you'll find over a thousand of us now over on the closed Facebook page, The Mindful Dietitian. See you there soon. Bye.
I'm increasingly getting a lot more male uh, clients and um, I, I'm just floored by their courage because really they're, they're in this first wave of people who are saying I'm, I'm struggling and, and, I, and I don't want to struggle anymore. I, I want to get back into life. I want to feel connected again. So yes, we, we have a way to go, but um, you know, huge thanks to, to people like yourself who are living that authenticity and sharing your story and sharing your message. It, it, you know, I, I think that goes a huge way in terms of, um, in terms of encouraging men to um, seek help and to heal. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really hope so. I really hope that, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, my voice gets added to the other men who are speaking out and trying to do some, some really groundbreaking work on some level in this area. Definitely. Now, um, some of our colleagues might best know you um, from your podcast with Glennis. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and then where we can find you as well? Yeah, so I have been doing a podcast. I think we're, we're almost coming up on two years, maybe. Oh, uh, maybe has it has been two uh, years. It, it might be. I know we're just past a year, so it's, I think we might be coming up on two pretty soon. Um, it's called Dietitians Unplugged, and I my co-host is Glennis Oyston, who's another Southern California RD who is fiercely in the health at every size and uh, intuitive eating camp. Mm-hmm. And much like this, we really just, um, we sort of get in a room together, we turn on the microphones and we talk and, and we usually have, you know, maybe one question or, or topic that we want to address. But other than that, we just sort of riff. And so when you talk about community, right, Glennis is my, is my community uh, and talking to her is, is connecting on these issues and, and we just turn on microphones and let people listen to, to how supportive we can be uh, in this community together. Right. Um, and so we are, you can find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google play. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, dietitians unplugged. We do an episode probably if we're, if we're lucky every couple of weeks, but we're sort of in the one, one every month phase right now. Uh, but it's it's super fun. It's been so nice to to like interview people. It's been so nice to have the conversations Glennis and I uh, have been able to have, and, and connected to like all these other podcasts out there. Like yourself, now welcome to the club. Oh, thank um, you. But like you know, Christy Harrison, Christy Harrison, and uh, and all these other folks out there that are doing similar things. Um, that, that you know, and we sort of like share this sort of like. Oh, so what are you doing for your podcast? Oh, this is how I we do ours, and and it's it's a nice sort of uh, uh, another niche community. So that's a great way to sort of connect. And then the other way is um, I do I, you know I have a website. It's um, it's it's sort of a mouthful. Um, so it's 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 a www.bvmrd and bvm stands for balance, variety, and moderation, mm. and rd stands for registered dietitian. Uh, but I'm on Facebook too. If you look me up, Aaron Flores RD, you'll find me. Uh, and I'm on Instagram. So I mean, you know, all those 
if you just look up my name, I sort of pop up. So there aren't too many air and florist dietitians out there. No, no, there are not. And, and we are so lucky to have just one of you, Aaron. There's, you know, you're, you're unique and you're amazing and we're just so appreciative for your, for your voice. And I love your podcast with um, Glennis because it's just, it's too, I was going to say mates because that's what, how we say in Australia, two yeah, mates yeah. shooting the shit and just, I just love your energy. The two of you just are hilarious. You're, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I adore you and Glennis. So, um, yeah, so thanks. And, and please keep them coming because it's so, it's great just to, you know, shoot at the wind and, and, and speak so freely rather than, you know, it being too formalized or anything like that. So it's great. Yes. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. And, and, and like I said, it's been a lot of fun. And, and you know, I, I thank you for, for inviting me on. I mean, it's, it's really an honor. And, and when, when we talk about people that are, uh, in our community that are uh, inspiring, you know, I mean, you, you definitely fit that and you're, you're a pioneer, uh, in many respects. And I, you know, again, hearing what you are doing professionally helps inspire me to, to do things as well. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Much love to you and to your community, your family and everybody, um, everybody where you are. So, um, and again, you know, oh, and next time we'll meet, we'll be hopefully at Beta again in New York. Is that right? Yes, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to going. So like for all the listeners out there, if you want to like, really like, I sort of feel like this is like a Steve Irwin may rest in peace, right? Uh, this would be like, if you were like um, doing a show on dietitians in the wild, right? He would go to Beta and he would watch all of us like intermingle and, and, and go out to eat and go out for drinks. And, and he'd be like, look at these dietitians. They're actually eating and no one's commenting on food or their bodies. It's, it, it's, these are the, you know, the rarest dietitians of them all, you know, you'd really get to see us in our true, uh, in our true habitat. So, so oh, that's if, too funny. That's too funny. I've got, I've got David, David Attenborough. Uh-huh. I've got David Attenborough coming to mind. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. You know, here, yeah. are, here are some dietitians. You can notice how they're moving right. very distinctively and lifting their wine glasses <laughs> up to their mouths very deliberately. Anyway, that was a really bad impersonation of David. Poor David. Goodness me. He doesn't need me impersonating him. But um, Aaron, such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible wisdom. And well, thank you. Um, yes, I look forward to catching up with you very soon. So thank you so much. Thank you.